G'day. You're listening to The Misadventures of Bo Hogart and the Brilliant Blue-Eyed Woman. My name's Vic. Plume.com. Chapter 24. Space Odyssey. Followed immediately by Chapter 25. The Amoriginals. Enjoy. As we drove bumping over clumps and stumps toward the waving grey lizard people of the underground, I pondered how it hadn't been a particularly warm record-breaking summer. I reckoned old Mama Nature was holding back, rehearsing in private for a late grand opening heatwave that'd have critics running to Walmart to review air conditioners as the summer spectacular broke all previous temperatures on record and cassette. Why is this bumpy trip so trippy? I heard myself ask. It was the six bumpy trips you swallowed earlier. I replied in disgust. The last thing I needed was to lose an argument with myself. So I swallowed another two trip tacks, closed my eyes and watched a Technicolor octopus smoking a lit kaleidoscope explode over the inside of my eyelids. When I opened my eyes, we were pulled up in front of the lizard people of the underground. Gretel jumped out of the driver's seat and embraced all three of the creatures, starting with the largest, who'd conveniently morphed into a big bearded man wearing a multi-coloured caftan, the front of which was somehow displaying the rolling credits from the film 2001 A Space Odyssey. A swirling purple vortex appeared over the caftan's credits and pulled me into a tunnel of coloured luminescence, sending me racing at the speed of Lou Reed toward a parallel space web. After ten or 15 years I arrived at an LED lighting display situated in a holographic shopping mall where animated pictures showed people starving to death while enslaved cattle were fed enough grain to feed all humanity. What the hell is this hell? I cried once before losing count. You are watching profit at the cost of care, boomed an echoing voice. And let it be known, death is not the end, it is just the constant continuance of eternal change. Uh, well, I'm not really one for change, I blurted, looking up to see a giant squirrel standing on the ceiling holding a bullhorn. Who the hell are you? I croaked. I am Lord. What? And now it is time for you to go home. Don't tell me, Lord Numbery Trash Squirrel Thingo, I asked. I've got to click my heels together three times. Nearly, said Lord Thingo, but not together. So you want me to click them apart, like the sound of one hand clapping, I asked, confusion busily etching a self-portrait over my face. Lord Thingo ignored my question, wiggled his whiskers, and continued watching me. How about the one-armed fisherman who caught a fish that big? I demonstrated using one arm. Lord Weirdo watched and wiggled his whiskers some more. Did you hear the one about the boy who drowned in a bowl of muesli? He was pulled in by a strong current. All jokes also never die, replied the ratty rodent. So carry on like Monty Python, and may peace be upon you. This furry fiend is not quite right, I thought, before being sucked into another tunnel situated inside the circulating ceiling and sent sailing at the speed of light beer into a warmly lit sea 
through orb-like womb. Floating in embryonic peace, I could view the entire Earth. Uh, hmm, I thought. A womb with a view. Was this what Lord Thingo meant by sending me home? The fact was, I really didn't care. I was curled up in an embryonic light bubble. Comfortable, warm and secure. And all was good. And then my orb of light popped. Like a laundry detergent bubble. Sending me hurtling back to Earth with a horrified face that was whiter than white. As I zoomed uncontrollably at the speed of Google miles per second toward Mother Earth. She spun herself around, revealing I was heading straight for her satellite view of North America. Spiralling closer and closer, I punched through a brilliant white sun-filled cloud to see the ground flying up at me. I landed face first in the dirt next to the four human feet. You should take more care getting out of the jeep, eh? Said Gretel, and she and the big-bearded transcendental caftan man helped me up. Hey, Bo, this is my good friend, the Guru Uhuru. Uh, pleased to meet you, Guru Uhuru. How do you do do? I asked, reaching out to shake his hand with my already shaking one, watching his left ear turn into a blue mushroom. The Guru was about 40 or 50 years old. At six feet tall, he had a solid build and a bulbous belly, and his head was large with dark, wavy shoulder-length hair. He had large, bulging, dark brown eyes and one continuous, thick, dark eyebrow, like a greasy thumb swipe. His nose was long, broad and arching, like a vulture's beak looking down over his sporran-like beard, as if waiting to pounce on the leftovers hiding in his whiskers. Pleased to meet you, Bo. How was your trip? He asked, speaking with a jolly and powerful operatic voice. Uh, it was out of this world, I answered, watching cuttlefish swim across his eyeballs. Excellent. And who is this quiet soul? He asked, gesturing toward the jeep. This is Hans, eh? Gretel said, walking to him, Hans still staring numbly ahead like an ice road trucker travelling on two varieties of ice. He's suffering a bit of distress, eh? We've had a bit of trouble, Guru. What happened? He asked, looking concerned. I felt responsible for Hans's condition, so I jumped in. Uh, Hans was very attached to a t-shirt his mother had bought him, but I had to soak it with gasoline and burn it, and uh, he's been a bit silent Hans Solo ever since. Gretel looked at me unblinkingly, expressionless, and then turned back to the Guru. People are trying to kill us, Guru. We need a place to hide out for the night, eh? Of course, the guru said. It's a jungle out there. You're always more than welcome to stay here, Gretz. And so is your silent friend. But the guy with the purple tongue, not so much. I must have looked worried because the guru quickly stated in his warm, booming voice, I'm only joking, Bo. This is a sanctuary for all who need shelter, medicine, and food. He spread his arms open wide like an opera singer and continued, But we'll hear more of your tales during dinner. The guru gestured toward the other two ex-lizard people also wearing caftans but of different colours. One caftan was a bright peach colour, the other bright yellow. As far as I could tell, they were slim creatures in their twenties, both with long brown flowing hair. Peach caftan was a female with black velvet skin that glistened like sun-soaked, honey-covered charcoal. The brilliant whites of her eyes were accentuated by irises so deeply dark brown they echoed, causing me to look back several times. Her lips were full, her top lip shaped like an arrow pointing pointing upward to a delicate nose set below subtle cheekbones. Her eyebrows were shaped like two upside-down letter Vs with their arms spread apart, and her dimples, one on each cheek, gave the impression she was constantly about to smile. She was a stunningly beautiful woman, exuding an inner beauty and character so strong you could feel it crackle in the air. Yellow Caftan was a male Caucasian with dark eyebrows, long dark lashes, blue eyes, and
and a strong jaw, the type of face you see attached to male underwear models. In fact, they both could have been models, depending on what was going on under their blindingly brilliant caftans. Please, continued Uhuru the Guru, meet my two eldest children, Desert Banana and Peach Enchilada. Holy granola, I thought. This Guru Uhuru is cuckoo. Either that or he must have been tripping with Lord... What? The day he named his kids. Uh, what's for dinner? I replied rhetorically. Roast Robert with mashed Melinda? There was a slight pause and then Peach Enchilada and Desert Banana burst out laughing and everyone joined in. It was a kooky situation and I looked around to check I wasn't in a bad sitcom. Uh, no offence guys, I said turning to face the guru. But if you've got any drugs left over from the day you named your kids, I'll have a dime's worth, thanks. No drugs here, Bo, said the man I would nickname Goo, his eyes flashing a genuine genuine smile. Our tribe lives on love. Uh, sounds great, I said. Does that mean I won't need to dress for dinner? No, not that sort of love, Goo said, chuckling. It's best to wear clothes while eating, or you might accidentally burn your soybeans. What I mean is, we don't have the need for drugs here. We're a tribe of around 200 people. We grow our own food above ground, as well as aquaponically. And all our waste, including water, is recycled and used for a variety of things, including fertilizer for our vegetable gardens. We use an ethical bank whose responsible policies include not lending to the fossil fuel industry, as well as don't donating a percentage of their profits to projects that help people and the planet. And instead of paying energy corporations for their toxic fossil fuels, we collect clean sunlight and wind energy for our power needs. We have arts and crafts and musical instruments for jam sessions and dances. And because we all care for each other and work together as one for the greater good of the entire tribe, there's little emptiness inside us. We're a true community, and although we don't live like monks, we don't use drugs as a means to connect or or escape ourselves because we're a caring and connected collective. Well, everyone's got an opinion, I thought, wondering if one of the hippies might have some whiskey stashed somewhere. As Goose spoke, Desert Banana and Peach Enchilada climbed into the back of the jeep and began humming softly to the rigid hands, gently massaging his post-traumatized neck and shoulders. But enough of this talk, my friends, Goo announced festively. You can tell us all about your adventures during dinner. Uh, sorry Goo, I said, watching my shoes turn from a dull lime into two bright lemons. I'm not comfortable talking during dinner. Why is that? He asked. Uh, the food falls out of my mouth. <laughs> oh, don't worry, Bo, said the elated Beardy Weirdy, laughter sending his bulbous belly bouncing like a bloated basketball inside an unbalanced washing machine set on spin cycle. I think you'll be drinking your dinner tonight in the form of freshly squeezed orange citrus juice. I've got a strong feeling your purple tongue is in need of a healthy change of acid. I figured Goo was right, but I would soon learn we were both right. The change I needed was from acid to whiskey. Chapter 25 The Amoriginals. Enjoy. Set inside his woolly whiskers, the guru's gargantuan grin displayed a full set of blinding white teeth. Follow me and I'll show you around our underground home, he announced enthusiastically, gesturing toward a sunken stairwell. Peach Enchilada and Desert Banana, Peach and Des, wound down their combined healing humwork on hands and climbed out of the jeep. 
Walking around to the side of the vehicle, Peach leaned forward and gently kissed hands on the cheek. Her voice, filled with warmth and dripping with honey-laden care, explained to him that he was now safe, that everything would be alright, and that she would take him to a comfortable place where he could rest, sleep and heal. Er, uh, I'll have what he's having, I mumbled. Hands gave both hands to Peach and climbed out of the jeep, like a sleepwalker whose dream was looking like finishing with a happy ending. I retrieved my hand luggage from the vehicle and walked over to pick up Hans and Gretel's backpacks, but they kept changing shape and moving forward. Des noticed my concern and picked up the backpacks for me. Goo led us down the stairwell, through two large steel doors and into a dimly lit concrete corridor. Des locked the solid steel doors behind us and Goo continued on, leading us down the corridor's slight incline until we arrived at two other solid steel doors. Welcome to our home, Goo said, pushing open the huge doors to reveal an extremely spacious underground dome. We call it paradise. The interior walls and ceiling of the massive domed living area exuded a bluish lilac glow. Sculptures and paintings and huge beanbags, tables, indoor plants and colourful cushions were strategically placed around the space like a Macy's showroom on acid. Some of the tribe sat on two extremely long and luxurious boomerang-shaped sofas positioned to face each other. Some were elderly folk cradling babies and singing softly to them. Others played instruments and games and whatever else people did to relax when drowning in alcohol wasn't an option. While kids of various ages, not seemingly interested in board games, ran around the living area laughing and chasing each other. Looking back above the entry door, I saw a photo of a tiny blue island floating in an ocean of space. It was our planet Earth. The writing underneath it stated, I pledge allegiance to the Earth of our beloved solar system and to all her creatures for here they dwell. One planet united in harmony with universal love and compassion for all. How do you like the floor? Goo asked. It's compacted, hardened earth, made with a mixture of water, sand, chopped straw, and soil with clay. Uh, it's hard to believe it's dirt, I answered. Do you have to wipe your feet when you leave? <laughs> when Goo laughed loudly, I knew I'd made a buddy. Hopefully a buddy who had a stash of whiskey. Goo put his arm around me and called out, making the tribe aware they had visitors. The kaftan folk immediately began making their way toward us. The first to arrive were the younger kids who ran to us, jumping up and down with big smiles and outstretched arms. More kaftan-covered folk began approaching from the various corridors attached to the dome. One was a woman of around 30 years of age, with caring dark brown eyes and a beautiful warm smile. Gently taking hold of my hand, she placed a glass of water in it. Welcome, my name's Jasmine. Thanks Jasmine, that's very kind of you, I replied. Uh, I hope this is vodka, although I do prefer whiskey. I was desperate to get my hand on the medicine that would stop me shaking and eventually sweating like Elvis live on stage in Hawaii. I'll take care of these, Des said, walking away with my hand luggage and the backpacks. Looking across, I saw Gretel surrounded by about 30 kaftan wearers giving her a group hug. The group broke away from Gretel and before I knew it, I was in the middle of my own group hug. Welcome to our home. Nuestra casa es tu casa. Make yourself comfortable. The group broke away from me and began moving toward Hans, standing with Peach. Peach raised her hand subtly, signalling that Hans wasn't well and needed space. The welcoming party 
understood immediately and went back to doing whatever they'd been doing beforehand while producing the same low resonating tone that Des and Peach had been humming to hands in the Jeep. What the hell is that? I asked Goo. It's just vibration, a calming music, a healing frequency, like Tibetan or Mongolian throat singing. Come, have a look around. Goo walked toward a wall photo about five feet tall and ten feet wide. It showed a frozen moment in the life of a tribe of American originals. The sky was clear except for two small clouds in the distance. Teepee sat in the background and in the foreground a small fire burned. A group of women laughed as they sewed clothes and weaved baskets. Some men were smoking pipes and talking while others made arrows in preparation for shopping day. A group of older women held babies in their arms and children chased each each other around an outstretched buffalo hide pulled tight on a rack made of wooden poles. The words under the photo stated, Chief Two Eagles was asked by a paid government official, You have observed the white man for 90 years. You have seen his wars and technological advances. You've seen his progress and the damage that his progress has done. The chief nodded in agreement. The official continued, Considering all these events, in your opinion, where did the white man go wrong? The chief stared at the government official for a moment and then replied, When the white man found this land, we Indians were running it. There were no taxes, no debt, plenty of buffalo and clean water. The tribe shared all the work. The medicine man was free and we spent all day fishing and hunting and all night dancing and making love. Then the chief leaned back and smiled. Only a money infected people are ill enough to think they can improve on that. What do you think of the Chief Two Eagle story? Goo asked. Uh, I suppose it's like a grim joke. Yes, but only if you've got the ability to laugh at yourself. That's probably why I'm not laughing, I said, turning to read a plaque underneath an old photo showing a bunch of African tribal kids happily sitting in a circle facing each other. An anthropologist proposed a game to the kids of an African tribe. He hid a basket of fruit behind a tree and told the kids that the first one to find the fruits would win them all. When he told them to run, they all took hold of each other's hands and ran together. On finding the basket, they sat together, enjoying their fruits. When he asked them why they ran like that, as one could have taken all the fruits for oneself, they said, Ubuntu. How can one be happy if all the other ones are sad? So, what do you think, Bo? Goo asked. Uh, I think they're a mate in Califados. <laughs> Both of those photos are black and white, my trippy friend. Uh, yeah, but that's what I think of them. So, what do you think of Paradise? Uh, get a bar put in and I'll join the club. But first, I need a toilet real bad. No problem. There's a toilet down that corridor. Follow Peach. The toilet sign will be on your left. Peach was guiding hands toward one of the corridors that led out of the dome. I followed as fast as my strobing lemons would allow, but by the time I made it to the corridor, Peach and Hands had disappeared up another corridor, off the main corridor. Stopping for a moment, I swallowed more trip tacks and continued my search for a toilet. There were no actual doors along the corridor, just open archways. Each archway led immediately to a mud brick partition, and each partition was painted with artwork relating to what was inside each room. The artwork on the partition of the first room showed personified brooms and cleaning utensils dancing happily while they cleaned. The next partition showed a painting of a green field under a blue sky. A singing toilet, the lid being its mouth, was sitting under a singing tree next to a flowing stream. The stream was waving along to their song, while fruit trees and vegetables
vegetables smiled and sang along in the distance. I guessed this was the fertiliser room, whose poo pipes led to the garden. Walking around the painted partition, I entered a circular room lined with smaller entrances and partitions, each one painted with personified pictures of showers, baths or toilets. I made my way around a partition showing a smiling toilet with a mango tree growing out of its bowl and sat down to deliver fertiliser to the tribe's vegetable garden. As I did my bit, the partition in front of me started glowing like an airport runway at night, my eyes following its strobing lights downward until I noticed a golden moth. It fluttered around in a loopy circle and then led me to some artistic writing carved into the side of the wall. Everything is everywhere, everything comes from everything, and everything returns to everything. It also stated, spirituality is a personal relationship with the divine, but religion is a business. I don't know if I can take much more of this truth, I said, looking down to see my shoes turn into two lemon meringue snails with spiralling shells trying to escape with me in them. I pulled them back toward me again and again, but they were determined to leave, so I followed them out of the toilet stall and into one of the showers. I figured they were trying to tell me I was a bit skunky, so I stripped off my clothes and turned on the shower. A wave of warm water splashed over me like a tropical frying pan riding a failed metaphor, followed by a pounding thought that hit me like a goodbye wave transmitted from a radioactive radio. I closed my eyes and began surfing the changing channels of my medicated mind, searching for an answer. A flock of flying baseball bats began darting around my cave of lost thoughts, creating a cycle ecological blindness within me. But when I turned my head, my neck clicked and a chilling awareness hit me like an ice cream headache of realisation, arriving just as it was leaving, causing me to scream at the top of my lung while using the other lung to keep breathing. I need whiskey! I could pretend no longer, like a termite-infested tree in a forest. I was falling. Unfortunately, there was no one around to let me know if it was actually happening. What is this madness? I cried like a 40-year-old virgin with his cock stuck in a vacuum cleaner. The world was spinning, but not as fast as me. I was swirling out of control, or what I thought was control. And only one thing was certain. If I didn't get what I needed, and get it soon, I'd start sweating, shaking and vomiting and some other unwanted party tricks, followed by a self-loathing so intense I'd rise up against myself like a dirty dark green nuclear tsunami forced into a brutal psychological cage match against me and my other self, leaving I alone to referee the entire brain draining schmozzle, billed as me myself and I need a drink things were desperate. The time had finally come. I had no choice but to immediately discard every drug that was causing horror in my life. I pulled out the half full packet of purple trip tax and discarded the entire contents down my cake hole. Farewell my freaky friends. I declared curling up like an oversized embryo on the floor of the warm flowing shower. Ah, peace at last. Not quite yet Mr Hogart, bellowed Lord. What? appearing on the ceiling above me. The squirreling crackler was back, his 
bullhorn set to ear splitting, causing my ears to replicate the shape of two conical 1920s gramophone speakers. A frenetic form of distorted carnival music filled the air. Uh, roll up, roll up! It's time for your mental magical mystery tour! Step right this way! The furry fiend announced, his eyes smiling at high speed as he ran back and forth on the walls and across the ceiling. Hold on to your nuts! He roared. And stay exactly where you are. Only your mind will be boarding the flight tonight. There was no escape. I had no booze, no tranquilizers, and only a mind full of madness. That's right, private dick. The nutty fruit-looping squirrel said, saluting while bouncing from wall to wall like a supersonic super ball. Things were serious. Wherever I was about to go, there was a good chance I'd never come back. And if I did make it back, there was an even better chance I'd be spending the rest of my life using one dribble for yes and two bubbles for no. But I had other things to deal with. Bouncing to the floor with a thud, the ballistic bouncing beast placed his bullhorn over my horrified ear hole. All aboard! The squirrel and crackler screamed, my other ear taking on the shape of the instrument being blasted into its twin. Tickets, please! I don't have a ticket! I cried in vain and pain. Don't worry, Mr. Blowhofart! roared the almighty lord of all aboard. Tonight you'll be my special guest. Hold on tight, human number 950 billion 98 million. Your tour starts with the Riley King Rhino! I covered my eyeballs with one hand and my thigh balls with the other. Alright, you demonic devil! I screamed through clenched teeth. I'm ready to go! But it was too late. I was already gone. You have now reached the end of chapters 24 and 25. Please note, due to budget cuts, all further sound effects will be done by mouth.